I'm Tom Perumian, KTSA News. Uh, good afternoon. Happy Monday. I'm Jack Riccardi. Welcome to the Jack Riccardi Show. We are live right now on 550 and 1071 KTSA, and you can join the show at 210-599-5555. And uh, yesterday was National Radio Day, so happy belated National Radio Day. I don't know if I'm supposed to wish you that or you're supposed to wish me that or how that's supposed to work. I, these things always catch me off guard. I always forget that is a holiday. There's also somewhere in the calendar there's a National DJ Day, and I never knew about that until recently either. So anyway, I couldn't do this without you, so thank you. I'll thank you. I'll wish you a happy National Radio Day. Uh, so the um, the first Republican debate is Wednesday night, and Trump says he will not be at it. The public knows what a successful presidency I had and who I am, he says. In fact, he says, uh, why would I allow people at 1% and 2% and 0% to be hitting me with questions all night? How do you feel about that? I mean, I get it. I mean, there's there's nothing in this for him. It isn't just that the people he's running against have low poll numbers. It's also that Donald Trump knows that people know him. Uh, the people who hate him are going to keep hating him. There's nothing he could say in a debate that would change that. And the people that are with him, I mean, if you're with him, do you, do you need to hear more? Do you need do you need any more? I mean, you, you got what you need, right? Uh, so the people that hate him got what they need. The people that love him got what they need. Uh, and now the question is, what will he do instead of the debate? One theory that we talked about last week is that he's going to do the uh, Tucker interview, and that's possible. I also heard kind of a wild idea that... Uh, he might surrender to the um, uh, the prosecutor on the Georgia interference case uh, during or right before the interview on Wednesday night. He has until Friday to uh, surrender to that uh, arraignment, and um, somebody has said that maybe that would be a way of stealing the headlines. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the best way to do it. I think I like the Tucker thing. Um, better. I I think the the thing about Donald Trump is um, this is not a normal campaign where everybody is making their case. Uh, and even if you're even if you're the leading candidate or you have the highest poll numbers, you still want to make your case. In, in a typical election, in a typical field of candidates, the person at number one would have a case to make. The person at number nine would have a case to make. But the thing is here, I, I guess, I guess the way Trump looks at it. His case is his four years as president and these ensuing now three years of uh, Joe Biden. And so that's the case. And anything that he did in terms of showing up at that debate would enhance the standing of and increase the, you know, I guess you'd say the the available targets uh, for the other uh, for the other candidates. If you think about Trump, he isn't just leading the Republican field of presidential candidates. At the moment, he is the most dominant political figure in the world. It's 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 kind of strange. We've had powerful presidents. We've had presidents who were broadly and widely respected. Uh, this is someone who's not a president. And not widely beloved or respected around the world, but but as a known quantity, as a dominating quantity. I guess I think about this this way. 
you can do the X's and O's with this primary state and that caucus and Super Tuesday and DeSantis has this and Vivek has that, but how can he be stopped? Who could stop him other than himself? Who could stop Trump? And when I look at the way the media are are setting this up, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Who am I to who am I to who am I to say everybody else is wrong, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I think everybody's wrong. They're trying to make this about the kind of person Trump is, his character. Did he have the documents? Did he make an inappropriate call to Georgia? I don't think the election is going to turn on his character. And by the way, I I don't think the election is going to turn on Joe Biden's character either. I think Joe Biden will have a lot of voters who know he's crooked. But if this election is a referendum on Biden, if it's a referendum on the way things have gone, what was promised, what was delivered, how they said it would be, how it has been, I'm going to restore the soul of America, then look over at the landscape, look out at the landscape of this country and go, our soul has never been in better shape, it's restored, it's better than new. And that's why I think the polls show that it's close. I, I don't think people are voting on who's a better person or uh, who they'd like their children to look up to. Uh, and I think that um, I think the election will be about how am I doing? How do I think things are going? And, and if I don't like the way things are going and if I'm not doing well, do I think it's because of the policies and the culture around this current president? And if I can remember how things were for me before 2020, did I like that better? Was I doing better? That's what I think this will be about. And, and, and so there really isn't much of a debate opportunity for Trump in that. What do you think? 210-599-5555. We got very hung up last week on the question of one term versus two terms. I've said, and I still say, I prefer a candidate who can serve two terms because continuity in office is necessary uh, for uh, the kind of ambitious things that not only Trump, but frankly all of the Republicans are talking about. So last week I was saying, and I still believe, that you need, you're going to need more than four years. Of all people to knock that down, I thought this was kind of interesting um, Ron DeSantis said something that kind of contradicted that. Um, and I'm going to get more into his interview later because there's a whole controversy about something he said that was taken out of context. Um, but, Don, I want to play the clip where he, um, I think it's cut seven. Ron DeSantis did an interview uh, with the Florida Standard, and he was talking about being ready to go from the beginning of his presidency. Would he, would he know what to do? Would he be prepared to go in and drain the swamp? And he says something very interesting about how presidents don't really get eight years uh, when they're elected. Listen to this, cut number seven. Well, first, we will uh, run and, and we will win a clear-cut victory. We will expand Republican majorities in the House, and we will have a Republican majority in the U.S. Senate. So that gives us an opportunity uh, to do a lot legislatively, and we'll be ready on day one because you really only get certain times to strike while the iron's hot with Congress. You know, you could serve two terms as president, but you don't have a full eight years mm. to really 
uh, capitalize on the moment. And when you get in, that first 100, 150 days is really the best time to capitalize. And I think we're going to be ready to go yeah. on day one. We're going to okay. know. So what that, that kind of cuts. We'll hear more of that later. But that kind of cuts into the argument. Oh, well, you need, you need eight years. He's saying um, if, you're, if you've got your ducks in a row, first 100, 150 days, which any of them would have. Um, so we're going to talk about that and how you feel about Trump being in the debate. Now, the Georgia trial is the only one of the Trump trials that could be televised. And there's a lot of debate about whether it should be. So we made that the question on the River City Oral Surgery JR poll today. Do you want the Trump trial in Georgia to be on television? Yes or no? Why or why not? We're going to talk about that. 210-599-5555. The uh, latest thing with the Hunter Biden story is kind of interesting. We talked about this a little bit last week. Apparently, in addition to using various pseudonyms, various assumed names, fake email names, which I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking there's no there's no legit reason why uh, a, a powerful person like Joe Biden would be doing that. I, I can't think of a legit reason. It, it seems like a very skanky, sneaky thing to be doing. Like, whatever, whatever, you're, whatever reason you're doing that for is not a good reason. It's nothing you're proud of. But anyway, in addition to using the, the pseudonyms, he also, um, he was having Hunter copied on his emails pertaining to Ukraine. And this kind of undercuts the idea that Hunter Biden shouldn't be, we shouldn't be talking about him and Congress shouldn't be investigating him because he's just the son of the president. He's just a family member. He's not a government official. If you're getting the emails, it seems like you're part of the, uh, the regime. If you're being CC'd on the emails, I don't, think, I, don't think, I don't think that's typical behavior, right? I mean, Trump made it clear that Jared Kushner and um, Ivanka were on his team. They were serving in the White House. Uh, Hunter Biden has never been described as somebody that is serving with uh, or advising uh, his president, his uh, father, rather. But it looks like he's getting the emails. And why Ukraine? Well, I think that question kind of answers itself, right? Did you notice the coverage... Or maybe you didn't, because there wasn't very much of it, of the Maui fire disaster. It's been almost two weeks now, and there's really very little news coming out of the disaster site. And the biggest thing everybody wants to know is, where are, is there any hope for the 800 to 900 missing people? You keep hearing the confirmed death number, but the number of people missing is way higher. And if you add the number of dead to the number of people currently designated as missing, it's over 1,000 people. It's over probably 1,100 people. And this is a town that only has a population of 12,000 people. So many of the dead are children, Many of the dead are elderly, children because the schools were closed due to the weather, elderly because they wouldn't have gotten warnings. Sirens were not sounded. But there's very little news, very little information coming out. As far as I can tell, unless I've missed something, the governor of Hawaii has not called for 
the activation of the military. And this is not Biden's fault. Biden is over there right now touring the, the, the debris. But, but he has to get a request from the governor of Hawaii. And with all those Marines, all those resources, all that water, all, everything, they still, as far as I can tell, they still haven't called for it. There's a token uh, National Guard force, and that's it. It's hard not to think that these two things go together, that the um, lack of asking for federal help and getting sort of the media in there to show what is needed and what has happened, it's hard not to see a connection between that behavior and the incompetence that we have heard so much about. The fire was started by poorly maintained power lines, which had been warned about for years, invasive grasses and tinder that was not cleared and properly managed, Uh, the water issue, the guy that was saying we have to revere water and he wouldn't release the water for use fighting wildfires, which is in itself just by itself an astonishing fact, the idea that you you would so worship water that you would not release it to fight a fire. We have to stop putting people in charge of our natural resources that worship trees and water and stuff like that. That's crazy. I mean, you want to do that? You want to think that? You can think that. You can't be in charge of anything important if that's what you think. The official insurance, and they moved that guy out of his job. I heard just a few minutes ago he he got transferred to another position in government. Needless to say, not fired, just transferred. And, of course, the guy in charge of the emergency response, he was... He was told he needed to go, and he resigned the day after his disastrous news conference. He was the one that said, we don't need to sound the sirens. Then there's stories about police cars blocking traffic and residents not being able to get out of uh, the, the downtown uh, water frontage area. You, you've seen pictures of cars bumper to bumper on the main street. It's because apparently they couldn't get out. Authorities weren't letting them out. They were, they were herding people toward the waterfront. And that may have been a disastrous decision. And all of this, the combination of lack of openness and anecdotal uh, mismanagement, all of this leads to conspiracy theories. And there's a zillion conspiracy theories with just two weeks uh, of coverage so far. So really what you're looking at here is where we are as a country in microcosm. Hawaii is like a microcosm of putting people in charge that are ideologues not competent, people worshiping their ideology rather than responding to conditions on the ground, the sacrifice of everyday people to prove a point, the covering up of said incompetence and policies, And then to put a nice gloss of paint over it all, we just slather the whole thing in rhetoric about climate change, which they're now doing with the storms and the windstorm in California. It's climate change. No, it's just climate. It's just weather. You know, if you left every drop of oil in the ground, everywhere it exists, you never took out another drop, you would still have wildfires. How dare you blame climate change for your unwillingness or inability to 
take your pick to do your job. Um, I don't get it. Uh, do you get it? Uh, there's something like ten or 12,000 Marines. Uh, there's another ten or 12,000 active-duty Navy. There's thousands of Air Force personnel. There's gear. There's every kind of resource and technology and vehicle and those water buffalo things. Because they're saying, by the way, that the survivors in Maui should not try to drink the water, even if they filter it. There is no way to make the water safe. So dangerous is the water, the tap water, that they say open your windows if you run water, and so people aren't going even near it. And so there's like 25,000 military personnel sitting there, not requested by the governor. The National Guard of Hawaii has about 250 people, and there's a a small... uh, Army Corps of Engineers uh, group doing debris removal. I, I've read everything I can get my hands on, and I, I don't see any explanation for why they're not asking for it. Foreign countries ask us to help. We send these resources I just described, or resources like it, to foreign countries. The governor is not asking for it yet. Why not? I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm wondering if it's as simple and shameful as, well, we just we need we need this to go away. We need this to get out of the news cycle. We don't need people to find out all of the human mistakes that were made, all of the bad choices that were made. We need people to believe that this was just we're at the mercy of a changing climate, and the more the more we bring in resources and people, and people start studying and and scrutinizing and then interviewing people that witnessed the the power lines that came down, like the guy we played last week, the guy named Shane that was a hotel worker and made a a video, a a Facebook Live of it. Um, Are they, is that what it is? Are they trying to just hope this passes through the news cycle? I mean, in X number of days, we're we're just going to move on. We're going to be talking about something else. What do you think? 210 599 5555. I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but we talked last week about all the um, offers that people are getting on their land. You know, all of a sudden people are standing there in the rubble of their family home and they're getting offers, phone calls from the mainland. We want to buy your land. Now, from what I've read, that area was an area that people lived in residentially, but the land had become very valuable, very desirable. Does this sound like a familiar story? So in a, in a state that has a lot of resort land, were there people that wanted that land? And is it possible, could someone have started a fire to set in motion a chain of events? that would lead to the land becoming available at hardship prices under hardship circumstances? I mean, before I know that sounds horrible and crazy, but we all know that individual buildings have been torched for a reason like that. Unbelievable pressure has been put on a landowner or landholder for, for reasons like that. And so there's even theories on the Internet about directed energy weapons and all kinds of things that might have been used. But, I mean, it wouldn't have even, from what we know, it wouldn't have even taken that. Good old-fashioned arson could have done it. I'm going to assume, 
until I know otherwise, that the real conspiracy is not that, but incompetent people in government. And I said before, Hawaii is a microcosm. We have just come through the last few years the greatest lesson we're ever going to get on the idea that government is not and never will be our savior. The, the best experts are not in the government. The best minds are not in the government. Doesn't mean we abandon government, but we shouldn't take their word on anything. And we shouldn't let politicians and bureaucrats off the hook. When they're wrong, they're wrong. They should pay. I don't want somebody reassigned. And vague talk and climate change excuse-making is sickening. They're literally hiding behind the climate because they don't want to face what their own policies and the choices they made are. I saw a guy on television that had been a state senator, and he said, we tried to have hearings about the wildfire danger years ago. This was several years ago. We held hearings. We had tours. We had field trips. We said, please, to the legislature of Hawaii, we said, come on out and see this. He said, hardly any of them came. We knew this would eventually happen, and we couldn't get them to, to care. And, and, and it would have taken just a few million dollars. I forget this guy's name, but he said it would have taken just a few million dollars. You know, when you hear the climate change activists talk, it's always billions and trillions. We need to save the planet. We could have saved these people with a few million dollars and some people that knew what they were doing. Maintaining power lines is not cutting-edge stuff. I was saying last week, this is the kind of stuff we used to assume we were the best in the world at. It's hard to see. And it's devastating to see. 210-599-5555. JR poll question. Should the Georgia Trump trial be televised? Do you want to see it be televised when he goes on trial? A survey says that San Antonio is the second friendliest city in the United States, according to... Uh, a tutoring platform called Preply. They asked a 1,000 people from around the country to rate the friendliness of major metros. San Antonio tied for second with Columbus and Charlotte. Ready for this? Friendliest city in the country, Austin. I don't think these people, I don't think they talked to the right 1,000 people. I'm not... I'm not ripping the, the, our, our friends in the People's Republic of Austin, but there's no way, there's no way we're not friendlier than them. I don't know if we're the friendliest city because I haven't been to every city, uh, but we're, we're, there's no way. Whenever I see any survey that ranks Austin higher than San Antonio, I say just wait because they're going to go off the rails up there. When they've banned cars and meat and dairy and straws and bags and everything else, it, people won't be so high on Austin. So if, as long as we can... As long as we can manage to not be as crazy as them, and I know, I know our city hall, our city council, I know they're in, they're they're hot on the chi- on the uh, on the heels uh, of Austin. But as long as we can manage to be like somewhat less woke, we're going to do great, and we're definitely friendlier than Austin, I think. Anyway, all right, this is uh, it's only Monday, but this could be the um, this could be what gets canceled this week. Are you going to take me home tonight? Oh, down beside that red firelight. Are you going to let it all hang out? Fat bottom girls, you make the rockin' world go round. Queen, fat bottom girls, 1978. 
The story goes like this. There's a new uh, Greatest Hits collection from the record company, Universal Records, and it's not going to include Fat Bottom Girls. No explanation was given, but I think we could guess why Fat Bottom Girls would be objected to, right? I mean, Fat Bottom Girls. Uh, We're not supposed to use... Well, we don't know what girls are. We're not supposed to use the word fat. I think bottom is still acceptable. Uh, it's also, uh, if you if you listen to it, it's about a guy that lost his virginity to his big-bodied nanny who made a big man out of him. But here's my question. In the, And I ask this in the spirit of George Costanza. We enjoyed these songs. We, we, I'm not even the biggest Queen fan. I love this song. I've enjoyed this song. I've sang this song in the shower. I've sang it in the car. I, I think it's one of their best songs. Were, were we terrible people? For all the years that we played it, listened to it, requested it, bought it, were we terrible people? Were we wrong to enjoy Fat Bottom Girls? And does that mean that the people that are now pulling it are better people? Like, these are really good people. If only we could be like them. They heard it, and they are like, nope, that's got to go. What does it say about us that all these years we've been like, it's fine, it's, it's great, it's a great song. Were we wrong to enjoy Fat Bottom Girls? What do you think? 210-599-5555. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm even more confused than that because, and I'm probably going to get myself in a little bit of trouble here, but I, and I'm not even sure how to, how to say this. I thought it seemed to me, and I am not by any means a, a fashion expert, it seems like women, some women are trying to have a large uh, you know, junk in the trunk situation, right? I mean, that's that's like a look. I mean, people work hard to get that. They work out. They work those muscles. They they emphasize. They do exercises a- aimed at building it up. Some women have a shelf back there. You could put bric-a-brac on that thing. Do people do bric-a-brac anymore? I, I probably just dated myself. What's bric-a-brac? Well, there's brick and there's brack. We'll talk about it later. But anyway, I mean, I, I, I didn't know that that was absolutely off limits. I, I, it seems like there are... Well, has anyone heard Sir Mix-a-Lot? And for that matter, when did it become a thing to take every rock lyric literally? Rock and roll itself is supposed to tweak the establishment. That's what it's for. And if rock and roll hadn't made people uncomfortable when it first came along, it wouldn't have been a thing. Okay, so from the earliest days, you were making parents uncomfortable. You were making teachers uncomfortable. You were sticking it to the man. And... The, the most revered rock artists are the ones that did that. 
The most enduring bands are the ones that did that and do that. Queen isn't even in that. They're not even in the first ranks of that. Queen's like party music. So the Greatest Hits collection just announced will be missing Fat Bottom Girls, and it's not the biggest deal in the world. And I don't know if you'd call it cancel culture in the sense that the band apparently went along with it. Uh, but what are we uh, what are we doing here? 210-599-5555. So if, if you're going to say, well, it's offensive to women with large bottoms, um, what about women that want that and have chosen that and guys that like that? And if you're going to say, well, it's offensive because of the part about my nanny and all that, for crying out loud, where do we stop? Do you have any idea how many songs we'd have to get rid of? Because if you took the lyrics literally, they would either be wrong or offensive or creepy or stocky or, you know, why? Music makes people feel good. And when people feel good, they tend to make better choices and live better and thrive. And don't we want that? We're trying to get rid of comedy. We talked about that last week. We're trying to get rid of music that makes people feel good. This whole era that we live in is starting to feel like the the first 20 minutes of Footloose. You know? And again, I'm not, I probably sound like I'm some queen, you know, number one fan. I'm really not one of my favorite bands, but I, but I appreciate them. And again, I always thought this is one of their better songs. What do you think? 210-599-5555. We'll chew on that. Um, I think if we start taking songs and song lyrics literally, there's no end. It just it never ends. You, 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 if you lived a long life and did nothing but censor music, you, you wouldn't have enough time. Like the one I've always thought they would come for, the one I always thought they would come for was that big hit by the police in the 80s, Every Breath You Take. I mean, this guy is stalking her, right? I'll be everywhere you go. You're going to see me everywhere. I'll be everywhere. You're all I think about. You're all I see. I dream at night. It's you. Man, I mean, let's just get this guy off the streets, right? Sounds like a... Sounds like some kind of conservative. Sounds like some guy that would have gone into the Capitol on January sixth. Every breath you take. Um, or for the people that are always afraid our kids will try something that they hear in a song, right? Because we all did that, right? When we were kids, we all we all promptly acted on the song lyrics that we grew up with. How about uh, our good friend Bruno Mars and his big big hit Grenade? He would catch a grenade for you. Jump in front of a train. Well, he could be a climate activist. So why don't they come for that song and go, we're afraid children will hear it and do those things. I don't want my child jumping on a grenade. Or or, or what about, um, I, I really never liked this song, but it's pretty stark and dramatic in its language. This was one from 87. The Cutting Crew. I just died in the car. 
I just died in your arms tonight. I've been on that date. All right. Um, I mean, where do you stop, right? 210-599-5555. At least, if nothing else, it's important to always tell the truth, right? Nope, it's not. If you listen to Michael Bolton. That I loved you, but I lied. More than love, but he lied. It's glorifying lying. I don't know. I don't know where we're going with fat bottom girls because I, again, there's women that are trying super hard to have a big behind, you know. And uh, are we are we shaming them? I thought we had to accept all body types. I thought no matter how you looked, uh, we celebrated you. We, we've been celebrating obesity. We've been saying it's just a choice. So is this body shaming if we leave fat bottom girls out? Are we body shaming them? Are we telling them you're, you're not welcome, you're not wanted? We don't want songs about you. We don't want to be reminded of you. I don't know. I... Uh, I wonder if, in a weird way, more people will now hear this song <laughs> because it will be in the news, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, "Like, I'm not talking about you and me. We know it. We've heard it before." But I'm talking about like somebody young. Oh, wh- what are they talking about? What song are they talking about? I never heard this song before. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Generation Z. I don't know this song. And they search it up, and now they hear it. And it's like this is pretty good. I mean, maybe it winds up making. Maybe, maybe this will be back on the charts for Queen. I don't know. Maybe it turns out to be a big hit. Maybe it goes to number one. But I mean, it is one of their greatest hits. If you're gonna if you're gonna release greatest hits collection, this is one of them. And if rock and roll has to watch what it says, and watch itself, and check itself at the door, then why did we ever need it in the first place? Why didn't we just stick with you know those white jacketed big band singers in the fifties? Why, why you know we could have just had Pat Boone, or whatever you know. <laughs> just had Prez Prado and and uh, am I dating myself again, Don? I don't know. I mean, why did we need Elvis? Why did we need the Beatles? Why did we need music that that made the the networks uncomfortable? That made Ed Sullivan uncomfortable? Well, I thought the whole point was we let it fly, we say it, we deal with it afterwards. I'll tell you a quick story. And Don Cooper, you may remember you may remember this song because uh, you and I go back uh, about the same number of years. There was a song that came out in about 1980 called Into the Night mm-hmm. by Benny Mardonis. Mm-hmm. It was a one-hit wonder. Yeah, let me see if I can find that. And I worked for a guy in Boston. Now, this is I'm going to fast-forward to about 1987, 88. I'm working for a guy in Boston. We're, we're on this uh, music station that is the number I have the number one afternoon show with women 25 to 54. So this is an audience, this is a radio station built for women, adult women. And my program director loves Into the Night by Benny Mardonis. He loves it so much, and he tells the record company how much we're playing it and how much people like us playing it, that the record company, along with some other, I think they were getting it from some other places, they decided to re-release Into the Night. So in 1988, this song came back onto the charts, and was again a hit. 
And the opening lyrics to Into the Night go like this. She's just 16 years old. Leave her alone, they said. Separated by fools who don't know what love is yet. Were we bad people? Were we just weirdos? I mean, I had women listening, I had moms listening, I had professionals listening, highly educated people. I never, we never had a complaint. I I mean, we were playing this song every few hours. No one ever said, how can you play that? Listen to what he's saying. Do you want that for your child? Do you want that for your daughter? Not that I had a daughter then, but you know. And I, I think I was a pretty good guy. I was a young guy. I, you know, I, I, it, it never occurred to me that this was advocating that a, a guy should go get a 16-year-old girl. It, it's a song. It's a work of art. It's just a song. It's just lyrics. We also played songs that the lyrics made no sense. You'd listen to it over and over, and you'd be like, I, it's, I love the, the beat, I love the rhythm, I don't know what they're singing. And I remember interviewing artists who sometimes occasionally would say, you know, this song really isn't about anything. just sounded good. The Beatles did that, Steely Dan did that. Hotel California, I don't think every line in that makes sense. What are we doing here? What are we doing? Well, I'll tell you one thing we're doing. We're presuming that we have been bad people. That we somehow, all these years, immersed in all this music, we didn't know, we were not moral enough to know we were sinning and spreading filth and inviting it into our homes and into our cars. We were buying it with our money. And then somebody came along in 2023 who was a really good, upstanding, moral person, and they said, I'm going to fix this. All those women that heard Into the Night by Benny Bardonis, they didn't, none of them heard that lyric. None of them heard it. None of them were offended. Apparently all of them were terrible people like I was for playing it. I mean, that's what you have to To believe all this, all this um, airbrushing of the culture, you have to believe that we were, were just terrible people. And that the people of today, this this generation of, scolds and cultural guardians they're they're good people they're the first good people we've ever had they're the first people that understood slavery and racism and our history and we didn't know till they came along and and took the names off things and took down the statues and we didn't know we 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 couldn't know 250 years nobody knew now we know that's what you'd have to believe to go along with this the good people just arrived. The saints among us have just arrived. But, but until now, we, we were so morally crippled, we didn't realize, fat bottom girls, what are we doing? 210-599-5555. I mean, I, I, I don't know if um, maybe this is just happening so much that we're just 
tired of it. Like the, the I don't I don't expect people to march in the streets, but I mean it, it just keeps happening and I guess people figure, well, we have to go through this, we have to walk through this. This is just the age we live in. Um Here's my only concern, and then I'm going to let it go. I just have one concern about this. I come from a gener I'm a I'm a generation Xer, okay? So you may be a boomer, you may be an Xer, whatever. We have books, physical books. We have albums, LPs, CDs. A few of us may have cassettes. You don't have to admit it. We own and we have physical examples of art. And we'll always have them. If they are important to us, we'll always have them. They can't take it away from us because we own it physically. But we're entering a period now where people will not own, physically own, books, movies, music. You can change them. You can change the lyrics. You can change scenes in movies. You can take make movies go away. You can pretend a movie was never made. You can pretend an album was never recorded. You could erase an entire band's existence. It never happened. They will not know. Because when they go to make a playlist or stream something, if it's not there, they don't know it's missing. That's my only concern. We're entering a period where people won't own and physically manipulate art. And so somebody will be able to gatekeep all of it. Like, I know every minute, every scene from my favorite movies. You probably have movies like that, too. You can practically recite the, 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 the dialogue as you watch them, right? But, but imagine, like, 20 years from now, somebody who sits down and, and streams that movie for the first time, they've never seen... I don't know, Casablanca. They've never seen it. Heard, heard about it. Well, check this out. They might see a different version of it. They might see a version with scenes that are missing or dialogue that's altered. And that's probably a bad example because it's not a controversial movie. But you know what I mean, right? And then there'll be other movies that they'll go to check out because they've heard something about it, Blazing Saddles. I, I, I always heard there was a movie called Blazing Saddles, but I can't find it anywhere. I guess, it, I guess that was a mistake. Apparently there was never a movie made by that title because nobody has it. See, that's the that's what we're entering into. And that's what I think is the concern. I, I'm not going to be around for all this, but, you know, our kids will be. Your kids will be. And somebody can just make it go away like it never happened. And there are people, I, I hear people say it, and I'm not here to tell you what to do or how to spend your money, but I hear people say all the time, buy physically, buy books, buy movies. Well, I don't know if you should or you shouldn't, but if, if I understand those folks correctly, this is what they're talking about. And it's why I love my book collection. It's why it's one of the most precious things to me. I love books. I love to read. People ask me about e-readers. I have nothing against them. But I like the idea that that book is sitting on my shelf, and it's going to be the same today as when it was printed. And if it takes me another 10 years to get to it, when I do crack it open, it'll it'll be, every page will be in there, every word will be in there. I like that. That's not the world we're moving into, unfortunately. Right, I'm, I, I've had my, I've said it, I've ranted, that we have no Queen fans, that's fine, that's okay. I'm not a big Queen fan myself, to tell you the truth, but I just thought, I just thought it was sad that there will come a day that somebody will go looking for that song, just out of curiosity, and they won't be able to find it. You know, they're selling off the uh, raw materials for the border wall.
The Biden administration is selling sections of Trump's wall on a government military surplus website called GovPlanet. So if you need to put up some fencing, uh, you can have what they are labeling as, um, they're not calling it border fencing. <laughs> they're, they're calling it, uh, they've got all these, uh, you know, uh, euphemisms for it. Oh, it's, um, it's surplus steel tubing. It's uh, high quality, blah, 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 blah. You know, they've got all these other words for it. But it's basically the um, the raw material that was sitting out there rusting, and they're selling it. And the reason they're selling it is because Congress, well, the House and the Senate both passed bills. Uh, I think they were called the Finish It Act. We had Chip Roy talking about it a while back. And uh, astonishingly, even the Democratic-controlled Senate passed this. They passed bills that said... Look, Biden administration, you need to use the materials that have already been, uh, uh, you know, acquired and built, put the rest of this stuff up. Despite the name of the bill, it wouldn't literally have finished the wall, but it would have, I guess, used up what was already on hand. That bill is hung up between the House and Senate. Each House has passed its own version of it. Somebody has to reconcile the House version with the Senate version before it becomes law. So, Trying to do this before it becomes law, the Biden administration is selling off the fencing. Not mentioning the original purpose of it, but again, everybody that's seen it says you can tell what it is. Uh, and that's just, you know, that, that to me that's of a piece with putting Hunter on the emails and taking Hunter on Air Force Two, and um, he's the smartest guy I know, and I never discuss business with him, and we don't know whose cocaine that is. There's just an audacity to this administration. It has nothing to do with Joe Biden. He's not audacious. He's kind of a kind of a you know limp noodle politically. But the people running him, the people that are running this whole show, the people that are using him as a figurehead, they are audacious. And this is just of a piece with that. So anything to not build that wall. Now Let's just do a little thought experiment here. And I don't I don't want to sound like I'm anticipating this, hoping for it, rooting for it because I hope I hope to God I'm wrong about this. But when I think about our southern border and how out of control it is and what we have allowed in terms of sheer numbers of completely unknown people, I worry that the next 9/11 or even something worse than 9/11 has crossed that border. I'm not saying everybody that comes is a terrorist. Don't put those words on me. But but you 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 could hide all kinds of bad actors and all kinds of things in six, seven, eight million people that have come through. And if you were trying to get them into the country, I don't know why you would do anything else but put them in that horde, in that crowd, and conceal them in that manner. It would be much, much smarter to do that than to try to get them into the country any other way. So anyway, I think about it, and I think, God, I hope I'm wrong about this, but someday when we wake up to a horrible thing that's happened to our country, in our country, um, and then in the aftermath of a terrorist attack, the aftermath of a, of a some sort of mass casualty event, when they start tracing it back, 
when they start connecting dots, when they start looking at the, the trail, okay, and they find out that this is somebody that entered the country in the 2020s, came across the southern border, maybe even was in the system, but released into the country or granted asylum, whatever, or, or, or smuggled in and never, never on any piece of paper. But in any event, when that happens, I want you to remember that they sold the, the, the materials for the wall rather than put it up. And I want you to think about how they'll explain it, because somebody will have to explain it. Just like Hawaii made a, a series of fateful decisions that led to the deaths of maybe over a thousand people, it may turn out to be. And they are starting to roll out, it's early yet, but you can see the beginnings of the excuse that's going to be made. Well, we might have made a few boo-boos, but we're, we're at the mercy of a changing climate. We're at the mercy of a climate that's been wrecked and ruined by your greed and your cars and your tailpipes and your smokestacks and your central air and your plastic bags. Just remember that those kind of people will make those kinds of excuses about the southern border. Somebody will have to explain someday, why didn't you secure it? How could you have let this happen? Look at what's happened. They won't take. They won't say, "Oh, we, we, you know, we should have built the wall." Yeah, we we should have we should have finished it. Yeah, Trump Trump was right about the about the wall about the border. No, they'll say, "I don't know." Maybe it'll be the climate. Maybe they'll blame terrorism on the climate. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I think that's already been done. In fact, but they'll have some excuse that is the furthest thing away from being the result of a choice that was made. You know, we know in our lives, you've ever, you know, watched Dr. Phil or, or had a therapy session or, or just you were raised right. We all know that we're mostly the product of the choices we make, mostly. And same thing goes for public policy. It's mostly the product of the choices that were made. There's not too many things that happen in this country that we're just completely powerless to do anything about. Oh, it's just like the weather. I mean, literally the weather is one of those. But pretty much anything else, it's policy choices, it's decisions. So just remember, stick it somewhere in one of your little uh, synapses there in the brain. They were selling off the steel rather than putting it up on the border. I'm finding it kind of amusing. They are having a complete um, meltdown over the fact that Trump will not come to this debate on Wednesday night. By the way, who knows? He may just walk out on stage. We never know, right, with him. But uh, they're, they're completely, they've done story after story after story. The irony being, the more you talk about Trump not being in the debate, the less he needs to be in the debate, right? You've, you've, you've put him on that stage by obsessing about him. And I, I think what will happen is the candidates will talk about him. But I, I also think they will turn on and probably try to destroy Ron DeSantis. He will become the punching bag for all the stuff they would have uh, put on, on Trump. He got into an interesting sort of controversy uh, at the end of last week. So he had done an interview with this 
conservative uh, outfit in Florida called the Florida Standard. This guy Will Witt, who went to Prager, and is just—he's a, a very smart young guy, good guy. And he did this interview with DeSantis, and DeSantis, he asked DeSantis good questions, uh, including but not limited to, uh, you know, questions about comparing himself to Trump. And um, CNN took an out-of-context and heavily chopped-up excerpt of the Florida Standard interview, and this was on Casey Hunt on CNN. So I want to play this for you. She's got this clip, and she's got Ken Cuccinelli, uh, the Virginia politician who, remember, was in was in Trump's uh, Department of Homeland Security, and I don't know if he's still with Trump. Or I think now he's a DeSantis guy, but anyway... Um, Cuccinelli was on with her when she played this butcher job. So this is the clip of that, and then we'll hear the whole thing that DeSantis said. So let's have, um, John, let's have cut number five first. But there was a pretty interesting moment uh, in a recent interview where uh, Governor DeSantis talked about Trump supporters. He used the word words listless vessels. But I he wasn't play, talking about on, Trump supporters. Hold on. I'm going to play it for everybody, and then All you right. can go ahead. Let's listen. A movement can't be about the personality of one individual. If all we are is listless vessels that's just supposed to follow, you know, whatever happens to come down the pike on Truth Social every morning, th- that's not going to be a durable movement. Everybody just saw there that there was a cut. You cut from the beginning of that quote to the listless vessels. You just did what the problem is. So everybody who just watched that, understand, go read the transcript. Okay, fine. So you, summar- you summarize for us what, what, what was it that he was trying to say? He, he, well, first of all, his first point is an excellent point. This should be about America, not about individuals. Fair. Okay. And How do we get from there to listless vessels? Yes, well, the rest of an entire paragraph, by the way. I mean, there's a pretty big gap in your cut. So he's talking about some of the folks in D.C. who've endorsed Trump. He's talking about the more general environment and referring to all of us collectively. We can't just sit back and take all of this, be listless vessels. We have to move ahead with a different vision. That was not Trump assigned. And so folks, go read the transcript. You, you don't have to listen to me. You go read it yourself. I love the way she gets caught totally, totally caught. Hand in the cookie jar up to her shoulder blade. Caught. And then she says to her guest, well, make it make sense for us. Like, <laughs> like now that I've excluded uh, the, 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 the middle, since you're sitting there, Ken Cuccinelli, why don't you tell us what, what else he was said? And fortunately, I don't know, maybe she thought he wouldn't know, but apparently Cuccinelli had seen the whole interview. So let me play you. What you heard and the piece in the middle you didn't hear. This is uh, the Florida Standard interview with Governor Ron DeSantis, cut number six. I think that we, we, we have a strand in our, in our party that views supporting Trump as whether you are um, a, a rhino or not. And so you could be the most conservative person since sliced bread unless you're kissing his rear end. They will somehow call you a rhino. So it's been totally detached from principle and what you actually believe and results. And it's more about, you know, just what faction you happen to do. So there'll be people uh, who are huge Trump supporters, like in Congress, 
who have like incredibly liberal left wing records that that's really just atrocious. And yet they're viewed as by by some of these folks as like as like really, really good. Then you have other people, you know, like a congressman, Chip Roy, who's endorsed me, Congressman Thomas Massey. These guys have records of principle fighting the swamp that are second to none. And yet they will be attacked by some of these people and, and called rhinos. Uh, so it's just been totally detached from any type of substance. And ultimately, a movement can't be about the personality of one individual. The movement has got to be about what are you trying to achieve on behalf of the American people? And that's got to be based in principle, uh, because if you're not rooted in principle, uh, if all we are is listless vessels that just supposed to follow, you know, whatever happens to come down the pike on Truth Social every morning, th that's not going to be a durable movement. Mm. All right. So now that you've heard the whole thing, um, what do you think about that? 210-599-5555. I mean, he is talking about um, Trump supporters who support the guy to the exclusion of everything else. Uh, and, and it's your right to do that. Uh, and his observation, obviously, is the guy running against Trump is, well, uh, you really need to be about principles, not about people. And I have no, I have no argument with that. I'm 100% in agreement with that. And I believe that a lot of Trump supporters believe that they are supporting a principle as well as a person. But when they say only he can, only he will, it's got to be him, then I wonder. I think his point about butt kissing is worth considering. You may have gotten your back up when you heard it if you're a Trump supporter. But just consider for a minute what I'm about to say. If you haven't already, you may have already thought of this. Don't you think there are, quote, unquote, Trump-supporting Republicans who actually hate his guts? And they say they're with him, or they pay compliments, or they demand an end to the witch hunt or whatever because they're cultivating you. And I, there's no way that a political party that tried to change its rules in 2016 so his delegate count wouldn't count and he wouldn't be their nominee. There's, there's no way all these people have, have seen the light. Some of them may have. Some of them are just kissing his butt. So I think that's a, I think that's a totally legit observation. And you would expect the guy running against Trump to make the argument, which I think he's making, that, look, there are principles here that are bigger than one man, uh, there's more than one person that can do this. Um, I think I can do it, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it was an interesting interview, um, very very well conducted, good questions. I want to play again. We played a little of it earlier because we've had people ask, and I've talked about it too, did Donald Trump learn from his first term enough that if he gets back in there, he will not be, uh, you know, stymied? By the swamp he is attempting to drain. Will he bring enough people? Will he bring the right people? Does he know how deep you have to go into these organizations? With something like the FBI, you can't just appoint a new director. And so the interviewer asks DeSantis about being ready if elected. Cut number seven. Listen to this. 
Well, first, we will uh, run and, and we will win a clear-cut victory. We will expand Republican majorities in the House, and we will have a Republican majority in the U.S. Senate. So that gives us an opportunity uh, to do a lot legislatively, and we'll be ready on day one because you really only get certain times to strike while the iron's hot with Congress. You know, you could serve two terms as president, but you don't have a full eight years to really uh, capitalize on the moment. And when you get in, that first 100, 150 days – is really the best time to capitalize. And I think we're going to be ready to go on day one. We're going to know what we can do through Senate, for example, this budget reconciliation. We only need 50 votes. So we're thinking through all of those things now, and we're going to be ready. So that's the first thing. Second of all, you've got to have good personnel. You could have the best ideas as an executive. You can make the best decisions. If you don't have a bunch of people that are going to be there with you in the trenches and that are going to really take on uh, the entrenched bureaucracy, they're going to eat you up. So we're going to have thousands of people ready to go, send to the Senate for confirmation. And then you've got to be willing to clean house. Uh, you know, Donald Trump said he was going to drain the swamp, but yet, you know, he kept Christopher Ray until the end of his term. Uh, you know, he didn't fire Fauci. You know, when he had opportunities to really make an impact uh, on upending that swamp, you know, he didn't do it. So what do you think? Does he sound, does he sound ready? Uh, does he make an argument that's credible for you? All right, right now, I do think there are people, when they do these surveys and polls, I, I think there are people that basically are saying, I liked Trump's presidency. He's getting a raw deal now. And he's the only guy I really know about. So, yeah, I'm for Trump. And I'm not saying they're not, but I'm not sure that's locked down. I don't think they've looked at anybody else yet. And there's a good chance they won't look at most of them. But DeSantis has enough money and enough standing that they probably will look at him at some point. And that's what he's counting on. I think he believes that most people who answer these polls still don't know very much about him. They know a lot about Trump. They know most of what they're ever going to know about Trump. But they don't know about him. And... He's going to be able to talk about his record in Florida, which is very different. When you're a governor, it's very different than if you're running from the Senate uh, or from a legislative job. It's not just a bunch of votes you cast. You could say, look, I did this, and I would do it on a larger scale. Reagan had that. Clinton had that. George W. Bush had that. And then I also think there are people probably that absolutely want Trump and will stay with Trump, but we don't know. Uh, for sure, if Trump's going south. And there will be somebody who will step forward and be put forward if, if he's not eligible, able, available. I think that's very, very unlikely, but it's more likely than usual. And DeSantis is, you know, waiting in the wings for that. Not waiting in the wings for that, but available for that. I sometimes wish that um, when I think about the way Trump came out after the 2020 election, um, and I'm not one of those people that blames him. I, I think a lot of stuff was done to him and to his campaign. But I, I sometimes wish that when he came out, uh, he had come out in the spirit of election integrity. Like rather than make it about I was robbed, uh, come out and, you know, 
concede the outcome. Somebody put it this way, concede the outcome without conceding its correctness. And what you can then do is you don't have to abandon the, the theory that it was a corrupt election, but you can turn your efforts, you can become a crusader for fixing our elections. If he had started that January 1, 2021, and been crusading and fighting and putting his voice and his money and his connections into forcing and, and urging Republicans in the states to fix the broken balloting and ballot counting processes, then he could come forward as a candidate now and say, look, I'm going to run in a system I have helped fix. And it's forward-looking, and it's and it's and it's and it's um, problem solving, and that's what he's known for. That's he's a businessman. I get things done. I can fix things. I, I I think it's a shame that no one on the national scene is a voice for fixing our elections. Everyone has an opinion on what happened in the last one. It was legit. It wasn't legit. It was honest. It wasn't honest. He really lost. No, he didn't lose. But we didn't fix it. We still haven't. Is it stooping to say stuff about Trump? I mean, why can't you talk about Trump? What, why is it? I'm just, I'm asking. Like, why would it be wrong if you're running against him to talk about him? I don't really understand that. But 210-599-5555. Lisa's on KTSA. Lisa, good afternoon. Hi, Jack. Um, I didn't get to hear the whole conversation. You know, I kind of joined in, chimed in, um, probably towards the end of the whole conversation you were having and playing those different, I guess, cuts from that what the lady was was stating that DeSantis was saying that the but wasn't saying. Anyhow, um, I think that you know, I think Trump, this whole, you know, Republican and Democrat. My family, you know, we've always been Democrat, nothing different. Um, am I happy with that now? No. Would I vote for Trump? I don't know. I don't know. You know, at first I used to say no. I, I used to think he's an idiot. He doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut. But I think he's a very smart man. I think he's a businessman. Um, I think that we all do things at one point in our lives that perhaps you're like, damn, maybe shouldn't have done that or said that. I think it happens whether you're rich or poor or Republican or Democrat. Um, I think DeSantis, I don't see him as being as a very strong leader. I don't know much about the guy. Um, you know, I'm not happy with who we have in office now, mm-hmm. with the president or the vice president. Um, mm-hmm. In the field of industry that I'm in, you know, this whole immigration thing is crazy. You know, mm-hmm. that's why I mentioned several months ago to you was, they should just let us move in with, with either Biden or with Kamala Harris because we're letting everybody in our country. Yeah. You know, yeah. at one point, at one point, I think everybody's got strong points and everybody's got a weakness. And I think that if Trump would learn how to keep his mouth, um, perhaps some of his comments and not be so yeah. degrading to people, then maybe yeah. he probably would be a, a good leader. Now, with what he did on January 6th to our capital. Dude, man, you just really messed up right there. Well, uh, let me ask you something, Lisa, because you said that you, I mean, we all know we all know about Donald Trump. There's, there's nothing left to learn, really. But 
you don't really you you said I don't really know much about DeSantis. I don't really know much about the. In the time we have, are you going to look at these other people, or is it just going to be yes or no on Trump as far as you're concerned? You know, had Trump not done what he'd done on January 6th, I, I really think that he led the people, but I think the people, we all make our decisions to go. Because if Trump tells me, hey, go jump off the tower, hell no, you do right. that on your own. So, but you I mean, know? are you open uh, to the other, are you open to looking at the other people, or are you really not interested in checking them out? You know, I, I'll look into them just be deeper now more than ever because yeah. I see what's happening in my country now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely going to look deeper, yes, but I don't think okay. that DeSantis is as strong as, as uh, he sh needs to be. Gotcha. And I think gotcha. if you go up against Trump, you got to be strong. So I think yeah. I say you run for it, Jack, and I can be your advice. <laughs> I like that. You know? Let's do that. We'll get right I, I on that right that. away. We just... All we need is $100 billion, Lisa. I'll leave that to you. Biggest non-controversy of the day, as far as I'm concerned anyway. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, Donald Trump needs to be in those debates. Chris Christie called him a coward. <laughs> You're doing pretty well if Chris Christie's calling you names. Uh, yeah, the deal is Wednesday night, Fox says the first. It's insanely early. We are months away from anyone voting for anything. But Fox has the first Republican debate. They've got, I think, about eight candidates. So not everybody qualified, but most of them did. Uh, and they've got everybody but Trump. And Trump would be there, and he does qualify, but he says he's not going to do it. The public knows who I am and what a successful presidency I had. He writes on Truth Social. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, other than Fox being butthurt because this is their show and they wanted him on it and it would have higher ratings if he was on it, um, it that's essentially true, right? It, it, in a normal campaign or candid candidacy, I, I could see where one might question, well, why would you not want to go and, and, and introduce yourself and, and, uh, and, and say what you stand for? But for crying out loud, when former presidents are running, what could they say that would be more potent than what they did? I mean, you and I are, this is this is new territory. Former presidents haven't run for president. And um, not only a former president, but a guy who is probably the most powerful force of nature in politics, not only in the country, but probably in the world at this moment. So I get him not doing the debate. And, you know, he doesn't have some obligation or duty or responsibility or whatever. And um, the question now is, well, what will he do on Wednesday night to eclipse uh, the debate? What do you think? 210-599-5555. He might not do anything. Maybe he'll stay home and watch it and comment about it or live tweet about it or something. But um, I... I think what it means for the rest of them is to the point about what Lisa was just saying before the news, where she was saying, well, I, I feel like my decision is, do I vote for Trump or not vote for Trump? The rest of them have to make an argument that that there should be other choices, that you your entire decision isn't just, well, can I vote for him or can I not? Do I want to or don't I? Do I have to or do I and, and, and I mean, th there's this huge opportunity here for people like 
uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, Ron DeSantis, and maybe a couple of the others. I don't know. I don't know. And, I mean, you never know with a debate. Like, remember when the Democrats had their debate around this time in, I guess it was 2019, you had that famous moment where Tulsi Gabbard, who was at 1%, who most people had never heard of. She was a congresswoman from, from Hawaii. She had that very strong, uh, you know, encounter or, or exchange with Kamala Harris. Just destroyed her. And, no, it didn't make her president, but Tulsi Gabbard is now a, a household name and a familiar face and figure and commentator. And um, debates can do that. You know, t- TV can do that. And that's what debates are. They're TV shows. So we'll see what happens. 210-599-5555. I don't think uh, there's any argument uh, to be made for Trump to go on that debate. Um, I'm not, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any issue. I don't think he has anything to prove. Um, and it's the same thing with, I, I noticed the people in the media who are questioning his decision not to do it, why aren't they applying the same thing to Biden? Biden has primary challengers. He's way ahead of them. Why aren't we hearing a nightly drumbeat of Joe Biden is obligated, Joe Biden needs to, he ought to debate his Democratic challengers, Kennedy and Williamson? Is the argument because he's an incumbent president, he's serving as president? The guy's on vacation 40% of the time. A debate is only an hour. And the former president is also running. You know, I, I think you could make that argument. But anyway, um, we'll talk about that a little bit, among other things. We've been talking about Hawaii. And I was saying earlier, to me, the Hawaii tragedy, the Maui tragedy, where there's still 850 missing souls, is increasingly starting to look like a miniaturized version of the whole country with people in charge who shouldn't be and aren't qualified to be, with ideology over experience and practicality, like there are things you should do to prevent wildfires. There are things you should do in the teeth of a storm that have nothing to do with being Democrat or Republican or blue or green or red or purple. But we're, we're putting party ideology ahead of competency. And then we're not taking responsibility. We're not stepping up. We're not owning the, the outcomes. And the new blame is climate change. Remember when they used to blame everything on Trump? Those same people now blame everything on climate change, including probably blaming Trump for climate change. But, but that's that, that in a nutshell, what you're seeing in Hawaii, this tawdry little moment when they still haven't helped when they still haven't admitted, when they are trying to cover up rather than recover, it kind of looks like our country. It kind of looks like COVID. It kind of looks like Hunter. And I'm, I'm not here to discourage, and I maybe I sound like I'm Debbie Downer. I'm not. I just hope, I, I hope and I think that people are starting to see this. I think little by little. And every time there's something like 
this terrible tragedy in Maui. You have people who've always voted a certain way, maybe because their parents and their grandparents before them always voted that way. And they're right now they're mad and they're upset and they're um, hurt. They've had to come face to face with the fact that Biden could care less. The guy's taking two damn vacations just since this happened. He's interrupting a vacation to go see Hawaii, then he's going back on vacation. 800 missing people, children missing. I mean, that says it all right there, right? He's letting you know, Hawaii, you, you're a blue state, you have four electoral college votes, they always go Democratic, this is what you're getting from me. Where are you going to go? It's hanging it right out there. But it, but it takes this kind of um, insult to break those patterns, those habits of, well, I always vote this way, and my family always votes this way, and everybody I know always votes this way. And, and that's why we talk about some of the things we talk about on the show that are kind of out there, shocking, stunning, uh, because little by little, I do think people are waking up. Can't see it. It's so slow. It's so minute. It takes a long time. On the JR poll, question today, do you want the Georgia... Donald Trump trial to be televised. I, as I understand it, if I'm understanding the legal experts right, uh, it's the only one of these four um, cases which, if it goes to trial, could potentially be on television. The others are very, very unlikely to be. But this is an option for a state court uh, proceeding, and do you think that's a plus or a minus? I, I, you know, I think most people would say that, uh, and I go back to, like, O.J. Simpson trial and Judge Ito, I guess I'm just old school. I just, I don't think it's a good idea. I like the public knowing what's going on. I like the access. I, you know, I've been glued to many of these things over the years. But it seems to me, I don't know if you can argue this, it seems to me that you get people in that courtroom just playing to the camera. And maybe in this case, that person would be Donald Trump. I don't know, but I don't think so. Uh, We'll see how you voted on that. You can vote when you call in, 210-599. 5555. Uh, let's talk to Umberto on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Umberto, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jack. Uh, yes, uh, I would not vote for Trump. Um, I will vote for any Republican but Trump. But if Trump is the last man standing, I will vote for Trump because I'll take Trump over any Democrat. And let me, I, I don't know if anyone's made this point, but we're looking at World War III in about maybe two years from now. I mean, who do you want to put against Putin or against the China president, whatever? I, I do not want a Democrat uh, running the country when that happens. Uh, I want yeah. someone that's going to be strong yeah. on defense. And if Trump happens to be the last man standing, I'll vote for him. Although I'll hold my nose and I'll vote for him. It's mm-hmm. the worst case scenario for me. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. that, that's where I'm at. Do you have a... Do you have any preferences right now, or is it too early? Well, originally, DeSantis, uh, just because I'm a retired military, and I know he was a staff judge advocate, a former Navy guy, so I kind of tend to support more military veterans. But no, uh, I have an open mind. Uh, I need to do my research on all the Republicans and uh, select the best man for the job, uh, or woman in in this case. But uh, uh, I'm, I, I just don't want Trump. I'm, I'm tired of him. Uh, I, I hate what he did. And, uh, whether he did it or not, guilty or not, I don't care. As the president, as the leader, you, you see your country being overrun at the White House. 
you step in and you stop it immediately. You don't wait. You don't pause. You follow the law. You know, yeah. uh, 20 years in the military, you've you got to follow the law. Uh, we've seen people, uh, former military folks are in jail for it less crimes than that i don't think uh, so. yeah i mean i agree with you umberto i just i think in the in the big picture of things though what you put your finger on is we're it's a dangerous world and we cannot afford uh to take any any chances with it that the next president will probably have to make some wartime decisions uh whether it's about taiwan or something else and um Correct. i'm with you i mean the democrats look completely in the they are they are hostages to their extreme left right now, mm-hmm. and I, I would not trust them in the next four years. Yeah, and, and me neither. And all I can say, all of us as uh, citizens of, of this great country, uh, get ready, uh, yeah. get ready. And I'm, I'm not talking uh, within the United States. Get ready for that external threat. Uh, mm-hmm. It is coming. Mm-hmm. It's gonna come. I don't know. I, it may I be in the way. United States, Umberto. It may. It may. It may be yeah. right here. It may not be in any of those faraway places we keep. Uh, we keep talking about. But good to hear from you, yeah. sir. Thank you for your call. Um, this is sort of on the subject. I, I'm reading this book right now by um, H.R. McMaster. Do you remember him? H.R. McMaster was Trump's. Uh, I want to say second national security advisor. So he had General Flynn, and General Flynn had to resign almost immediately. And then he he hired McMaster. And McMaster was on the job for about a year, I think, maybe maybe more. And he's written a book called uh, Battlegrounds. Now, I'm not recommending the book uh, (laughs) because he he seems very full of himself. I, I... He's come down in my viewpoint from the time I've read the book. I'm about half to two-thirds of the way through the book, and I, I, I think less of him than when I started. He worked for Trump, and he wrote this book in 2020. So I don't know how he feels about Trump now. A lot of people who were with him, who served with him, as you know, have, have uh, turned on him because of J6 or other things. In any event, uh, he wrote this book sometime, or it was, it was published in, in 2020, so he must have written it you know, before the election. The thing that I wanted to point out, though, and and Humberto just reminded me of it. Again, take this for what it's worth, because I think McMaster is very self-serving. He's a a brilliant guy, but he wrote a book that I think is very self-serving. It's one of those, if only people had listened to me kind of books, you know. But one thing he says over and over and over again is that he, McMaster, and the other people he worked with on the National Security Council, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it, they thought Trump was an idiot. He was a simpleton. He couldn't understand Sunni and Shia. He didn't, he didn't understand what was really going on in places like Afghanistan, Pakistan, Syria, he didn't understand the, the dynamic of President Xi. He didn't understand, he didn't know the history of Russia and Putin and how Putin is an outgrowth of the, even though he's post-Soviet, he's an outgrowth of the Soviet slash czar tradition in Russia. So here's my point. I'm not saying I believe McMaster. I'm not saying, yeah, I read the book and now I think Trump is adult. You don't get to be where Trump is. You don't get to have done the things he's done and be an idiot. I, I, I grant you, 
McMaster is probably smarter than him. He's much smarter than me. But here's the point that I took from the book. Donald Trump hired this guy and trusted this guy while this guy was going around thinking, I work for an idiot. We can't, we're going to have to break out the crayons because we can't explain the world to him because we can't make him see that he needs to do this and we need to do that and we need to stay in Afghanistan and we can't leave Iraq and we can't. Now, I, I think this is a problem that I still am not resolved with on Trump. Like, I think his worldview is, is sharp. But he brought people in and tr- surrounded himself with people and trusted people. How many of them have turned on him? You can't even count, right? I mean, if you started to make a list, you'd run out of paper. And then how many of them didn't just turn on him, say, after January 6th? How many of them thought all along, I work for an idiot? Like McMaster says in the book, you know, I I served under several presidents. The call came. They were interested in interviewing me for national security director. I I came in. I I did the interview. I got the job. It wasn't like he was like, I'm really drawn to this man's uh, vision of the world or framing of the world. He was just a guy. This this is what I do. I'm 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 a NATSEC guy. Uh, I'm a military guy. And again, I'm not insulting McMaster. I, I just... I wonder how many people in Trump world are just along for the ride. And how do you affect real change? How do you reform things like the intelligence community, the FBI, the Department of State, the diplomatic corps, the woke military? How are you going to get at these things? How are you going to deal with these things? If the people you brought, your people, either are secretly working against you or sitting there thinking, what a maroon. And he doesn't hide it. It's on every page of the damn book. The president just didn't understand. We just couldn't explain it. We just couldn't get through to him. He kept blurting this out. He kept saying that. He wished he hadn't done this. Wished he hadn't taken that meeting. He left this meeting too soon. He stayed in that meeting too long. It's clear that, uh, you know, McMaster was saving us. We, we, we all owe him a debt of gratitude. But, but, I mean, you see my point? You could believe him and you could go, well, I'm not voting for Trump. Or you could say to yourself, Trump, what are you doing with these people? Why do you trust them? Is this the best you can do? And maybe it is. I mean, maybe, maybe this is the dilemma of the outsider. That when you're really the outsider, not just saying you are, but you really are, these are all the people you have. I don't know. I, I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm just throwing that out there. It's been interesting as I go through this book to see the, I wouldn't even call it disloyalty. They just disdained him. You know, they just, they probably did their job. McMaster's probably, again, he's a smart guy. But they they just didn't think much of of who they were working for or the likelihood that any of it would work. And it's all that sort of, remember that famous moment with Obama telling Medvedev, the Russian leader at the time, I'll have more flexibility after the election. You kind of get the feeling that maybe the Trump team was set, was saying to foreign counterparts, hey, uh, just bear with us. 
It's four years, you know. We're gonna we'll get things back to normal. <laughs> I hate to think that, but that's what it sounds like. I'm in a quick sand and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to There is a uh, story I've been keeping my eye on the last few days. This uh, young woman was in a Barnes & Noble in Burbank. Her name is um, Michaela Witter. And she was just in there with her latte, and she was looking for a book. And a guy, she caught a guy, I don't know how else to say this, um, sniffing her. This guy is a sex offender named Kalise Crowder. He would kneel down behind her, slightly, you know, like down to like where he was like waist level, and he was sniffing her. She taped this. She taped what was happening and her reaction to it, and it's a widely viewed TikTok. Take a listen to this. Cut number four. Day 20 of 100 Days of Silidates, and today we're going to Barnes & Noble and getting Starbucks. Except I ended up being stalked and violated the entire time. So I get to Barnes & Noble and get my Starbucks. I'm super excited to look at books, but this is the area that it started. I was in this corner for a while, and I noticed the guy was staring at me through that little hole. And I couldn't tell if I was being paranoid or if he was just reading a book, and he just happened to be in that little corner. Anyways, it felt like anywhere I moved, he kept following me. Though I recorded just in case he was trying to say anything or do anything to me. But I definitely didn't expect him to do this. Like, what the actual... And the whole time I'm thinking I'm fine because he hasn't said anything or touched me or anything. But then you notice that he goes over and does the same thing to this girl. And he'll crouch down low and pretend like he's doing something and then smell? I don't know. And the whole time I'm wondering why he's always around me. But this was our interaction. I was so freaked out when I turned around and saw him literally under me. So freaking close to me. So I decided to tell the front desk. And then I try to wash my car as fast as possible because I don't want to run into him. So I'm leaving now, but I just watched the video back because I was trying to figure out what he was doing so close to me. And it freaked, like, I'm so disgusted and I feel like really violated, even though he didn't touch me, but it just feels really gross and weird. And then I went up to the front to tell the lady because I didn't want him to do that to other people. And then as I was telling her, he was leaving. And so all she said that she could do was just tell the manager. I waited around a little bit because I didn't want to run into him. And I couldn't even focus. Like, I wanted to get a book, but then I was just, like, my anxiety was just, like, really bad. And, like, also, I just felt, like, really grossed out. So I just left as soon as I could. That's literally, like, so creepy. I've never had someone do that to me. It's just really weird. <sighs> At least I got Starbucks, though. Um, this guy uh, has been arrested 42 times as a sex offender. Well, not as a sex offender. Let me, let me correct that. He has been arrested for things like this, indecent exposure. He was picked up as a result of Michaela's video, and then released. They arrested him last Thursday, and they released him on Friday. 
And they released him without requiring, he will not be required to register as a sex offender, according to the L.A. District Attorney, George Gascone. It is undoubtedly him, and, and I don't mean to mock, but the guy has like Shrek ears. You, you, if you watch the video and then you see the mugshot, it's him. Um, they're saying that he uh, has not violated his uh, status, therefore he does not have to register as a sex offender. Now, I'm not going to get into the, the weeds about the law, and obviously we all know this guy, Gascon, is one of these uh, George Soros DAs. Here, here is, here's how I look at this. Just on a personal basis, as a father of a daughter, every time I see a, a, a woman go through something like this, um, I feel for her, and I, I feel even more for her because she's young, and I feel more yet because this is a repeat offender. This isn't some some dude that just got a little crazy in the bar or whatever. This is somebody who should not be around our daughters and sisters and wives and girlfriends and mothers. But the other thing, I think, and I don't mean to make this so, I don't know, maybe this will sound cold-hearted, I think people like Michaela are waking up. Like, I'm not sure she's all the way there yet, but right now she's mad. You hear it in the, in the video. She doesn't like the way this makes her feel. She doesn't believe she should have to put up with this, and of course she's right. I don't know if she's starting to make the connections yet, but people are going to have to start figuring out that the the these uh, travails and vicissitudes of modern life are a result of how you voted. You are putting people in that are destroying the simple expectation we all should have that if we want to go to a bookstore and just browse around and kind of get lost in the titles, there won't be somebody sniffing our butt crack. Because people like that have been put away and kept away. And then if we have them, we don't turn them loose again like we're setting a wild animal loose in the woods. It's not the, the, the nature channel. If we catch them, we house them. So the people that want to go look at books are free to look at books, and the people that want to sniff ass crack are in prison where they should be. And if you, if you see enough of this, and maybe, God forbid, experience it, maybe it changes or you question what you always thought was the right way to vote or your political affiliation or what have you. See, there's only so much you and I can say. We can express our opinions. We can, we can roll out the facts. We can do our research. We can, I mean, I, 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 do, I do this every day. I don't think there's any substitute for somebody like Michaela Witter. And again, I'm very sorry that this happened to her. But I don't think there's any substitute for Michaela Witter having to come face-to-face, if you will, with, okay, well, this is what you're voting for. This is, and, and maybe not her personally. I don't know how she votes, but you, you know what I mean. Even when we were talking about Hawaii, I mean, I, it's a t- I would never say this to, to um, a person that just lost a family member or a loved one, but we look at the appalling conduct of the governor 
and the appointed officials. We look at the absolute bad behavior leading up to this tragedy and since it. And you hope that people will hold them accountable. And I would say the same thing if they were Republicans. If Republicans act badly, they should face the consequences. They should pay for what they've done or failed to do. The best thing we can do in in this country is not um, simply elect one side or the other, but make both sides afraid of us. Make both sides think, we don't know how these people are going to vote. We better get our act together. We better get on the stick. We better start listening. We better start giving them what they want, not what we think they should have. They want safe streets, not paper straws. They, they, they want basic, vigorous, um, competent government. They don't want crusades and ideology and culture wars and virtue signaling and Let's start answering the questions people are asking because we can't count on their vote if we don't. We don't know what they'll do. You're never more powerful than when a politician doesn't know what you'll do. And you're never weaker than when he thinks he knows exactly what you will do. If you're voting in a block, if you're reliable, if your state always votes for one party, well, you know what you get, right? It's not very good. JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery. Uh, should the Donald Trump Georgia trial be televised? His trial in Georgia, if it goes to a trial, should it be televised? 68% said no. 32% <clears throat> said yes. And we'll have a new poll question when we go live tomorrow at 4. You can always find it at ktsa.com. Uh, kind of a nice positive story here the catholic diocese of worcester massachusetts where i spent a lot of time worked in a radio station there once about 40 miles west of boston uh the bishop of worcester announcing um in a policy entitled catholic education and the human person that the policy at catholic schools in his diocese will be that students use their biological pronouns and names given to them at birth. Policy states in part, Pope Francis has repeatedly stressed the importance of proper understanding of our sexuality, warning of the challenge posed by the various forms of an ideology of gender that denies the difference and reciprocity in nature of a man and a woman. And so Bishop Robert McManus approving a policy of using biological pronouns and birth names. The district previously had let schools make their own policies. Uh, New York Times says this will apply to all 21 Catholic schools in the Diocese of Worcester, Massachusetts. So, Look, um, you can have an opinion about it, but um, the Catholic Church has to actually say, this is what's right, this is what we're going to do. It's not about opinion. I um, I don't know exactly the year for this. As best I can tell, this is Margaret Thatcher sometime after she became the Prime Minister of Great Britain. Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister, the Conservative Prime Minister of Great Britain from 1979 until 1990. 
And so I don't know the exact year, but she's talking in this um, clip from Young America's Foundation about socialism, and it, it, it popped up in my feed. I listened to it because I really like Margaret Thatcher, and it was amazing to me how current, how right now this sounds. Take a listen to Margaret Thatcher talking about socialism. You want to keep more of the money you earn. I'm afraid that's very selfish. We shall want to tax that away. You want to own shares in your firm. We can't have that. The state has to own your firm. You want to choose where to send your children to school. That's very divisive. You'll send your child where we tell you. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing, for they might not choose socialism. Mm. <laughs> um, but you could say that today. And it's interesting when you hear that. Now, again, it, that could be that could be from the 90s. That could be from the 80s. I don't know. It's from it's from a while back. That's how that's how far back. We've been struggling with and wrestling with these things that you and I talk about and not just you and I, but I'm sure that you talk about with other people. Uh, I don't know if you find it encouraging or discouraging. Personally, I, I find it encouraging to know that some of the questions we have, some of the debates we have, are pretty old. Um, I guess the discouragement would be, oh man, are we ever going to resolve this? Are we ever going to win this? But the encouragement comes from the fact that people before us, people that came before us, had to deal with, had to face what we're dealing with and facing, and, and they did, and they're counting on us to do it. And people will come after us and probably face and debate and discuss these things as well. So thank you, Lady Thatcher, for that. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you. Find our podcast at ktsa.com on demand. See you back here live at 4 tomorrow.